Hi, this is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, where our mission is to bring Christ's hope, healing, and wholeness to our community and to our world. Our service times are 9 and 11 each Sunday morning. Find out more at www.communitycovenant.net. Wow, good morning. Can you believe that we are just two weeks away from Easter? Uh, next week is Palm Sunday, and we are looking forward. I believe that children have something very special uh, for us planned next week, and I am looking forward to that. Uh, I was in Eddie Bauer not too long ago, and they were having one of their famous sales. You know, the the 40% off plus an extra 10% if you have the mail-in coupon plus the extra 10% uh, if you're a member of the Eddie Bauer Club. And uh, you go into Eddie Bauer and there are tables full of sweaters and shirts and they're hanging up their winter jackets on sale. There are all kinds of great things. And I don't know about you, but I love a bargain, huh? Uh, I, I don't like to pay for anything full price. I just don't. Uh, in fact, even if it isn't a sale, I'll just ask, hey, could you take 10% off? Uh, seriously. And I would say probably 70% of the time the answer is yes. Okay. Uh, that's when I asked. One time I didn't ask. You might remember the story. Uh, I was at IHOP with the Krunemakers, and uh, a lady came up, and she said, I put your discount uh, on your bill. And I said, what discount? And she said, your senior discount. <laughs> I mean, I, that's the discount I didn't ask for, I got. Uh, and I said, who? Are you talking to me? Really? And so, but I do, hey, I do love a discount. I know all of us love bargains. So I'm sitting there at the table, uh, and I had a, I had like a long sleeve uh, shirt on, like a pullover shirt. It was pretty thick. Uh, and, I, and I found this other long sleeve shirt that I, I wanted to try on. And so what I literally was doing, I was sitting at the table, it was crowded and people everywhere. I just grabbed the thing, I stepped back, and I started to pull it over my head to see if it would fit. And I got stuck. Right? I was kind of like this. You know, my head's trying to pop out. I'm trying to get my arm through. And all of a sudden, I feel this little tap on my back, and it's one of the sales associates. And she says, you know, sir, we do have a dressing room. Uh, the garment isn't going to fit properly if you try to pull it over the shirt that you already have on. And I go, oh, oh, oh okay. And she walked me, and I was kind of in humility, you know. She walked me over to the dressing room, and I found a dressing room. Well, you know, that's exactly, that's exactly the point of Colossians chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through uh, 14. Um, Paul writes to the Colossians, and he reminds them, he says, you know, you've been raised with Christ. Your life is now hidden with Christ. And... When Christ returns, your life is going to be revealed in, in the fullness of God's completed work in you. 
And he says, in light of that, you are to, to live into the truth of that reality. Uh, put aside, put off your old self uh, with, a, with a, the corrupted nature that's a result of our fallenness and sin. Put that off. Take it off. Put it aside. Don't put it back on. And he says, then put on the new self. And then what he does as he goes through those verses is he, he compares. He compares virtue, right, with the old way that we, we used to live. And you, so you have this comparison, the old way, the new way. The new way is representative of the character, the values, the virtue of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it, it isn't something that we can manufacture. It isn't something we can do in our own strength. Literally what he's saying is, your old self has been put to death. And you are a new creation. Therefore, live into that truth. Live into that reality. Literally, clothe yourself in Christ. And, and so it, it's like, He's saying, like the sales associate, uh, Sir, don't try to put on the new over the old. It's not going to fit. It's going to be uncomfortable. You're, you're not going to be able to do that. And, and he's reminding the Colossians of that. In fact, he says this. He says, don't live the way you used to before you came to faith in Christ. Don't live that way. Live in to the new creation whom God has created you to be in Christ. And so as we think about putting on our spiritual apparel, as we think about choosing God's designer label, we come to a place where we have to make a decision. Is this true about me? Is what the Word of God says, is that true? Am I truly a new creation in Christ Jesus? And if I am, it is a result of His work in my life. Therefore, He will give me, through the power of His Spirit, um, the ability to, to live fully into that. So it's not like putting on something we don't have. It's like appropriating something that already belongs to us. Something that's already in our spiritual wardrobe. And it's awkward for us as followers of Christ when, when we try to, to put on the new self over the old self. It doesn't work. It doesn't fit. Because it's not intended to be that way. Having taken off the old self, we're to put on the new self. Then it works. Then it fits. It's not awkward. Um, when Lori and I were, when I was actually going through seminary, and we had this little one-bedroom duplex that we lived in. And I mean, everything was really, really small. Kind of turn, you bumped into each other. Um, but, you know, we made things work while we were going to school. And Lori was working full-time with the Automobile Club there in Southern California, and she had to drive 
uh, like 40 miles to get to the district office in Orange County. And on one morning, she had a very important meeting, and so she got up early. It was still dark outside, and she got dressed, and I mean, she looked great when she left the house. And she went and she picked up a co-worker, and they were going to drive to Orange County together. And, uh, you know, Southern California traffic, it's very slow, and they got stuck in the traffic and, and uh, all of that. And uh, they were driving, and, and it was getting lighter and lighter and lighter, and all of a sudden, Lori looks down about the same time her co-worker looks down, and they both notice the same thing at the same time. Um, her co-worker just burst out in laughter, and Lori kind of got embarrassed because she had two different shoes on. And she'd gotten dressed up for this important meeting, and there she is on the way down, and she recognizes, I have different, not only two different shoes on, two different color shoes on. And, uh, of course, that's a, a great reason, ladies, to pull off and go to Payless and buy a new pair. And that's exactly, that's exactly what she did. Um, but you know what? When we... When we make a choice to live into the truth of who we are in Christ, um, we go to our, our closet and we look at our spiritual apparel. We have to be very, very careful to make sure we're, we're putting on uh, the right thing. Uh, but the truth be, some of us, we live our lives uh, like having two different color pair of shoes on, don't we? There's a part of us that reflects the character and nature of Christ, and there's a part of us that very much reflects the old person. And it's like having those two different color, two different pair of shoes. Uh, and the Lord says in our passage, and He's reminding the Colossians, no, that is not the way it is supposed to be. And so then, as I said, He goes on and He contrasts vices with virtues. It's much like Galatians chapter 5 where Paul talks about the fruit of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And he contrasts the two. And of course, he's, he's urging people to live and to walk in the truth and the reality of the Spirit of God that lives in them. And so he says in Galatians 5 that you, know, you need to walk in the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit should be what is visible in your life. And Paul's doing the same thing here in Colossians when he is comparing uh, the vices of the old way of life, the sinful way of life, the, the life that's been corrupted by the fallenness of sin, to the new way of life in Christ Jesus. And so this morning, we get to verses 12 through 14, and he says this, he says, therefore, now, whenever you see therefore in the Bible, you have to ask yourself the question, what is therefore, therefore? And it's everything that has come before it in that section is leading to this point. So in other words, he's saying, in light of these things, because of these things, right? Therefore, he says, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Three things, he says. In light of the fact, right, that you are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. It's interesting. Remember when he starts out 
in the first four verses of this chapter, verses 1 through 4, he says you've been raised with Christ, your life is hidden with Christ, and your life will be revealed with Christ. Three things. Right? And in light of that, he says put off the old self. Well, here he's saying, in light of these three things, the fact that you are, are chosen by God, you are not only chosen, but you're chosen for a purpose. He set you apart. Okay? For His purpose. You're chosen. You're, you're made holy. You're set apart by God for, for His sovereign purposes. And not only that, you're dearly loved. Isn't that great? To reflect on those three things. In fact, those six things. We've been raised with Christ. Our life is hidden with Christ. When Christ returns, our lives will be revealed in the fullness of who we are in Christ. That we're, we're, we're chosen by God. Of course, the Scripture says that, that no one comes to the Son unless the Father draws them. That we're holy. That the, the work of the work of redemption the blood of Christ that, that cleanses us from sin. The ongoing work of the Holy Spirit that, that we're sanctified, that we're being made more and more and more into the image of His Son. Why? For God's purpose. He sets us apart for His purpose. And that we are dearly, dearly loved by God. So He says... Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Clothe yourselves with these things. Very, very much representative of, of the virtue that we see in the life of Christ. It's how Christ lived. Clothe yourself with these virtues. Let, let these characteristics be what, what people see. Live into the truth of these things. And as you close yourselves with these things, it says, bear, verse 13, with each other. Now, I've shared with you about this verse in a previous sermon. And that bear with each other literally means put up with each other. Okay? Put up with each other. The, the things about each other uh, that maybe make you... Um, just you don't like. Okay? You need to bear those things in the community, the faith community, the body of Christ. Uh, you get to bear with one another. In other words, you get to put up with one another. Okay? And as you do that, it says, forgive one another if any of you has grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Imagine that. Bear with one another. Forgive whatever grievance you have with someone. And how are you to do that? Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Did the Lord forgive some of the things that may have been offensive to him? All but a couple? 
what happened on the cross. Does God forgive some of our sin? What does He forgive? All. All. So it's unconditional. It's grace. It's His unmerited favor towards us. And literally what Paul is saying is, when we clothe ourselves with these virtues and we bear with one another, we are to forgive one another whatever grievance we have to the point where we're to forgive even as Christ forgave us. Now, you can't do that in your own strength. You can't do that as a matter of your own human will. That is a work, a result of the Holy Spirit in your life. In submission to the Spirit who gives you the love for others that the Father has for us. That's a supernatural love. Comes from Him. It's a result of His life in us. And so it says, Forgive us, the Lord forgave you. In verse 14, And above all these virtues, over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Put on love. Love binds these things together in perfect unity. And of course, Paul writes to the to Corinthians in, in chapter 13. He says, you can speak in the, the tongue of angels, but if you don't have love, you're just like a, a banging gong or clanging cymbal. What he's really saying is your, your life, your testimony is a bunch of hooey. It's just a bunch of noise. It doesn't really mean anything. He's saying the same thing here. That love binds all these things together. Holds them together. And it's the love of Christ which is the first fruit of the Holy Spirit that allows us to live in unity one with another. Now, I believe it takes courage to live this way. It really does. Because there are a lot of reasons and, and, and you can rationalize and justify not living this way. Uh, you can talk about how much someone irritates you or, or how badly they've wandered off and their life is in sin. Or you can, you can talk about a variety of different things and come up with reasons why you shouldn't love this way. Why you shouldn't forgive. Why you shouldn't be kind and gentle and patient and long-suffering. We can all come up with excuses for not doing that. And we all do at times, don't we? The truth be known. And yet it takes courage. It takes courage to choose to live this way. Because it's so contrary to our flesh. It's even so contrary to the ways of the world that we would live in this way. And yet that's the call. In fact, we think back about the Sermon on the Mount. We think of Christ and and basically He says, you know what? If you love somebody or are kind to somebody who's kind to you, what's the big deal? Right? The pagans do that. Those who aren't God-fearers do that. So what? He says, but what? 
love your enemies. Do good. Pray for those who hurt you. That, that is countercultural. That stands out. That is something that people take notice of. Jesus taught that. And here Paul is teaching the same thing. Now, our mission at Community Covenant Church is to bring Christ's hope, His healing, and His wholeness to our community and to our world. But you know what? It has to start here. It has to start among us. Jesus told His disciples that the world, other people, will know that you are my followers by your quarreling and your disunity with each other. What's He say? Other people will know that you're my disciple or my disciples because of your love for one another. But that love is supernatural and it is so different than than what is found anywhere else in the world. And the unity, the unity that's found. Of course, earlier in the passage, in verse 11 he says, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. That is perfect unity. And it is love that binds that together. Now, when the world sees that, they sit up and they listen and they pay attention. Okay? Now, that's one of the reasons why the early church experienced dynamic growth because people saw this and they wanted to be a part of it because it was so different from anything else they'd ever experienced. And and I believe that as a church, if we're going to bring Christ's hope, healing, and wholeness to our community and to our world, that we have to love each other in this radical way. That has to be present here for us to go out there and for people to take notice of it. Um, Churches spend a lot of money. They invest a lot of effort in trying to appeal to the culture. Trying to, to, to become like the culture, but walking the fine line that we don't compromise and become so much like the culture that we, we lose our identity in Christ. And churches spend a lot of money doing all kinds of things to try to draw and attract people and make them feel comfortable. Okay? But here's what I contend. We wouldn't have to do all those things if we just did this one thing. Okay? Uh, Let me show you. Wolfhart Pannenberg, he's a theologian. This is what he says. He says, the absolutely worst way to respond to the challenge of secularism is to attempt to secular standards, adapt to secular standards in language, thought, and the way of life. If members of a secular society turn to religion at all, they do so because they're looking for something other than what the culture already provides. It is counterproductive to offer them religion in a secular mode 
that is carefully trimmed in order not to offend their secular sensibilities. Okay? That we are to be different. And it's that love, that radical love, that identifies us and, and draws people to Christ through us. 1 Timothy 2, 1-4. through I urge you then, first of all, that petitions and prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and for all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. You know, rather than complaining about what we don't like out there. Why don't we pray for things out there? People out there. Uh, Rather than arguing over points of public policy. Why don't we commit our lives to praying for those who make public policy? And living in a way that, that people see who we are and that we're different. So that they, in turn, will want to know Christ and come to salvation. We must be different than those who don't know Christ. And our lives should reflect that. You know, in the early church, there was great persecution against Christians for a variety of reasons. I love church history. And while Christians were being persecuted and while they were being martyred, there were problems in the, in the larger culture, in the Roman culture. And, and, and some of those were disease and, and epidemics and, and famine and, and other kinds of things would happen. And even though these, these Christians, these followers of Jesus were being persecuted singled out. When hard times came, what did they do? They went out, they engaged culture, and they loved people. And ultimately, that's what's going to flip the whole Roman Empire. Here's some examples. Uh, In uh, uh, 260 AD, Dionysius writes this, And he's writing about a famine, a plague that took place in the empire. Okay? And now he's writing about how the Romans treated each other when this occurred. He says, At the first onset of disease, they pushed away the sufferers, away and fled from their dearest, throwing them into the roads before they were dead, and treated treated unburied corpses as dirt hoping thereby to avert the spread of contagion and fatal diseases. But do what they might, they found it difficult to escape. That's how they treated each other when the plague and the famine came, the difficult times came. But on the contrary, how did Christians respond? Let's look at this. He says, Most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, 
attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. They were infected by others with disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many in nursing and cursing others transferred their death upon themselves and died in their stead. And so why pagan priests and Roman officials would evacuate villages, Christians would go to those villages. They'd go into the homes that had been abandoned and they'd care for pagan people people who had persecuted them and who had looked down upon them. They cared for them. They loved them. They nursed them. They helped them come back to health at the cost often of their own lives. That's how radical the love of Jesus is. And that radical love ultimately changed the course of history. It's amazing. Bishop Eusebius said this, and he considered all these people martyrs. He said, The bravery and steadfastness of the martyrs was proof of Christian virtue. How they lived, how they engaged culture, how they treated one another, especially when things were bad, that validated. It was proof of their new life that Christ had given them. That they had clothed themselves with Christ. That they had lived for Him. 1 Peter 3.13-15 says this. Peter is writing to, to Christians who are enduring persecution. He says, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. Now check this out. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. And that's what we call living a questionable life. You want to live in such a way, your love so radical, your engagement of culture and your neighbors living sacrificially for the sake of others in the church and outside the church is so radical that people question you. Why in the world would you do this? That's living a questionable life. And God is calling you and I as followers of Jesus to live questionable lives. Why? So that people will ask the reason for the hope. that lies within us. That's what Peter says. He goes on to say in 2 Peter 1, 5-8, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection which means brotherly love. Love for one another. And to mutual affection, love. Now now listen to what he says. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Finally, missionary Brother Lawrence writes this. Many things are possible for the person who has hope. Even more is possible for the person who has faith. And still more is possible for the person who knows how to love. But everything is possible for the person who practices all these virtues. And so I say, let us clothe ourselves with Christ. And let us love each other in such a radical way that those who don't know Christ want to know about Him and give us the opportunity to tell them about Him. That our lives of love, our engagement of culture, our desire to love each other and to love our community, to bring Christ's hope, healing, and wholeness is so great that we flip the culture, that we turn it upside down for Christ's sake. So worship team comes forward. Uh, let's pray together. Father, we thank You for the new life we have in Christ. And Father, we ask that You would help us to live fully into that. That we would clothe ourselves in Christ. And Father, the hallmark, the thing that would bind us together, the, the thing that would be most representative of who we are would be our love for one another. And that our unity would be a powerful testimony to the reality that Jesus is alive. And Father, help us not to stop there, but help us to engage our culture, to be people of great faith, to be people who love radically, even those who disagree with us or who might intend harm for us. And in doing so, Father, may we put on display Your love, Your reckless love, that would stop at nothing to draw us to Yourself. Father, help us to be that kind of church and those kind of people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.